Well, good morning, Arbor. Wow, you guys are vibrant this morning. Oh, I don't know if it's the picnic coming up or the sun outside or what it is, but it is good to be with you this morning. It's the shirt. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, today we're going to talk about the tongue. Our tongue is one of the most important parts of our body. Uh, it is a very small thing, but we depend on it a whole lot. Without our tongue, we would obviously not be able to speak, uh, to communicate. We could use sign language, but we couldn't use our words and use voices or anything like that. Uh, we wouldn't be able to uh, whistle, um, which, uh, which is great. My dad had a great whistle. I heard that. Somebody, like my dad, growing up, he put his fingers together and like, and he whistles so loud, and like uh, dogs, neighbor's dogs would come to our house, like taxi cabs, it was crazy. And we lived in Eatonville, which was nuts. But without our, um, and actually my whistle, just so that you know, when I get upset with my kids, I'm like, kids, get over here! <laughs> you know, it's just like, it doesn't work so well. I don't have a good whistle. Uh, but without our tongues, we wouldn't be able to sing. And for some of you, that'd be like a great thing. But for most of us, uh, not being able to sing, that's a bummer. Uh, we wouldn't be able to eat, actually, because we can't swallow. It is, the, it is the tongue that actually directs the food inside of the mouth. So without that, we wouldn't be able to swallow and eat. wouldn't be able to taste. There's about three to 10,000 taste buds, receptors on your tongue, telling you how something tastes. We wouldn't be able to even enjoy our food without the tongue. We wouldn't be able to kiss, at least like the French. We wouldn't be able to kiss like the French, which is like the only way to kiss. You know what I'm talking about? So when you read in the Bible, greet each other with a holy kiss, it's French, right? Just, so just go for it. The tongue is very important. It is also one of the dirtiest parts of your body. It is, in fact, the most dirty. It's, scientists tell us that there is more bacteria per square inch in the back of your tongue than any other place on your body. It is disgusting. That is why dentists and hygienists tell you when you brush your teeth, you should also brush your You've got to brush your tongue. Yeah, now, so I was told that growing up, but I had such a problem with it because every time I did, I would gag myself. Anybody else, the same situation? I'm going to save your life right now. You ready for this? The piece of information you need to know is when you're brushing your tongue, you need to breathe out of your nose. And in doing so, you will not gag yourself. Wow. There you are, right there. Yeah, I know, right there. This is why we come to church, right? This is it. All right, but I'm not here to talk about oral care. What I am here to talk about is verbal care. Because um, that's what it is. The tongue is a metaphor for words we speak. We say things like, hold your tongue, which means to be silent. It doesn't mean actually to grab your tongue and to hold it. It means to be silent. We say that person has a silver tongue, meaning that they are eloquent. He or she speaks with eloquence. We say the cat has got your tongue, which means that you cannot find or, you know, you, you, know, you can't find the words that you want to say. We say things like that is a slip of the tongue, meaning you just said something you weren't supposed to say. We say tongue in cheek. That is saying something in joking or in jest. We say it's on the tip of my tongue. We want to say something, but we can't quite remember exactly what it is. Our tongue, right, the words we speak are the most powerful and some of the most dangerous things about us. James, brother of Jesus, he says this in his book, third chapter. He talks about the tongue. He says, the tongue is a small thing, but what an enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue 
is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction. And then listen to this. For it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all things, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and even fish in there. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an uncontrollable evil full of deadly poison. Solomon even takes it farther and he says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words are powerful. Think of the words of a doctor. A doctor could either tell you, talk to a patient and says, you have a clean bill of health, or he could actually say the words, you have six months to live. Powerful, powerful words. Think of the words of a judge. A judge, you're sitting in the courtroom. He could tell you that you are free to go, or he could say that is 20 years in state penitentiary. Powerful, powerful, very powerful words. The Psalms, we've been dealing and looking through this book this summer. We've been sitting inside of it. And what the beauty of the Psalms are, if you simply put what they are, they are God's word given to us to pray, say, and sing back to him. That's what the Psalms are. They're poems. They're songs. They are God's word given to us to pray and say and sing back to him when we don't know what to say, when we can't accurately communicate what we want to him. And so today... What we're going to do is we're not going to land on just one psalm. We're going to land on two psalms, Psalm 140 and Psalm 141. These are both written by a guy named David, King David. David, the guy, the shepherd with the, you know, with the sling, took down the giant. And he wrote these two psalms. They're comparative psalms or companion psalms, which means that they relate to each other. And they relate to each other because they both talk about the topic of the tongue or words or speech. Hebrew scholars tell us that nearly every single verse of Psalm 141 contain words of Psalm 140. In a way, they kind of mirror each other. They're very similar, which is why we read them together. But let me tell you, before we talk about how similar they are, the one difference between them. Psalm 140 is what's known as an imprecatory psalm. That's just a big word to say that it is a call of vengeance or payback. David is literally praying a prayer in Psalm 140, asking for God to take a vengeance or vengeance upon those people who are speaking ill and doing ill towards him. It's called an imprecatory psalm. Psalm 141 is what's known as an imploratory psalm. And that's where it goes a little bit more reflective. David recognizes that he also has a problem with his own speech, and he asks God for help. Guys, we, uh, we open our mouth. The average person opens their mouth 700 times in a day. So 700 times a day, we have the opportunity to either get it right or to blow it. And so with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to read these two psalms, and then I want to break down the principles that we see inside of them. But I want to give you a warning on the front end. These are long psalms. And so what I'm asking you to do is resist the temptation to let your mind wander. And what I want you to do is I want you to take note of the words that have to deal with speech within these two psalms. And so let's read them back to back, starting in uh, Psalm 140. David says this. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. 
The poison of asps is under their lips. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men, the violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me. And with cords, they have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further the wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man and, um, to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. That is Psalm 140. In Psalm 41, David shifts and it becomes very personal. He talks about speech, but his own speech. Here's what he says to God. He says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall on their own nets while I escape safely. That is a lot of scripture. Might be the most scripture we've read in one verse and one passage altogether since we started this church. But using these two psalms, let me do this. Let me give you three guidelines when it comes to speech, when it comes to our tongue, and when it comes to the words that we use. Here's what they are. Some words are hurtful. Other words are helpful. All words are consequential. You might want to write that down. Some words are hurtful. Other words are helpful. All words are consequential. These Truths, these three truths will form the outline that we're going to walk through today as we walk through these two psalms. And so let's start with the first. Some words are hurtful. David identifies two types of hurtful words in Psalm 140. Here's the first. The first is sharp words. Sharp words. David said they, and he's speaking about those who are speaking against him. He says they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. 
The poison of asps is under their lips. This is incredibly descriptive. An asp is a word that you want to pronounce correctly when you're standing in front of people. Okay? But it is also an Egyptian snake. It is one of the most dangerous, venomous snakes on the planet. If you get bitten by an asp, you have four minutes until you die. Unless you take, in and take, take action. You have four minutes. Sharp words are like that. They are like poison, you guys. Poison. They bite whether intentional or unintentionally given, these are the words that kill friendship and erode trust in relationships. Sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But words, and especially sharp words, hurt far deeper. They truly do. King Solomon said this. He says, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Did you know that snails on their tongue are teeth? Did you know that? That the the actual tongue of a snail has 30,000 little teeth on it. A scientist looked under a microscope and saw that the snail of a tongue has 30,000 teeth on it. They keep it rolled up inside of their mouth. Talk about a sharp tongue, right? They use this thing to to saw through stems and leaves and debris and whatnot. There are those who have a sharp tongue. And they keep it rolled up inside of their mouth until the opportune time comes when they strike or they drop a bomb in a conversation. You may know someone like this. You may work with somebody like this. Heck, you may live with somebody like this. Or you may be somebody like this. I'll shoot real straight with you this morning. I do not feel qualified to give this talk. There are times when I pick up God's word and I'm supposed to speak on a topic that is important for all to hear. But it makes it hard when it becomes very personal because this is my battle. Sharp words. I grew up in a household where we spoke truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth (laughs) all the time. And this is very difficult for me. And, and so maybe you can relate to this. Maybe when you, you know, you've gotten into an argument and words have been thrown out, sharp words, difficult words, and they've been painful and they hurt you. And then you go home that night and you sit inside of your bed and you think to yourself, oh, I should have said this. When they said that, I wish I would have said this. And you fantasize about it and you think about it, right? This is what I should said. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have that problem. And the reason I don't have that problem is I don't know why it is, but I know what I want to say in the moment that I'm feeling it. And you know what's unfortunate? At times I say it. And so what I do is I go home at night, and instead of thinking of what I should have said, I spend time thinking about what I should not have said. That's what I spend time doing. And what's interesting is that growing up, this being a struggle for me, I would spew out words like lava, and they would leave a debris of destruction behind them. I would do some of them intentionally when I was younger. Oftentimes now, if it happens, it happens unintentionally. But still, my words sometimes can be very sharp. I tried to think. I talked to Allison ahead of time. I'm like, which story should I tell to best illustrate this? 
and I'm not joking. I'm like, should I tell this one or this one or this one or maybe this one? I have literally a zillion things I could share, but I was, I'll share this. Years ago, I was on a plane. This will just show you how terrible of a pastor and a man I am. I was on a plane, and as you're sitting on a plane, you all know that if a parent comes down with a baby kid, you're just like, oh, don't sit by me. Don't sit near me. But they sat right in front of me. And it was this mom and her little kid, and I'm just like, dang it. And it was exactly like I thought. It was hell in the air, right? This kid was so loud. He was bouncing around, hitting the seat, bouncing all over the place, screaming, crying. It was a long flight. He was getting worse and worse. And you could feel the tension on the plane with everybody that was around there. Not just me feeling it. I could sense it. By the way, people looked and then would look back. You could see what was going on. And being a young, confident man, I felt it was my duty to say something in this situation to that mom. And so... Things are out of control. Kid gets up. Mom looks back at me, and I ask her. This is what I said, and I, I'm. S- I asked her if she could put a muzzle on it. So, I used the word muzzle, and I didn't even reference him as a human. I called him an it. Could you put a muzzle on it, you guys? It's not my finest moment. I'll just be honest with you at that. I was a lot younger, and so. She responds, and she says, very graciously she responds, and she says, um, are, you, you know, are you a parent? Do you have kids? What she's trying to do is say, do you, do you understand what's going on here? Which I didn't, right? And I said, no, and this, pointing to her son, is the reason I don't want to be. So it's what I said. Again, words come to me like this. They just flow, right? They just... <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking, you guys are all looking at me like, what the heck? I would never say anything like that. It was a real difficult plane ride, all right? I'm just, she didn't say anything else. She just sat back down, and that was it. That was our conversation. And I have done that throughout my life at times, and I have regretted it. It takes two years for a person to learn how to talk, and it takes the rest of their life to learn how to shut their mouth. If this is you, and you you have the tendency to drop bombs in a conversation, it's most likely that this is a blind spot for you. This is not something that's easily recognizable in the mirror. It's very difficult to notice because we're speaking truth, right? They just need to hear this. I'm just going to tell them. They just need to know the truth. And that will help them in the long run. If this is you, or you even wonder in this case, I would ask your spouse, Someone that is very close to you. And if you're not married, ask someone that's very close to you. Is this part of my personality? Do I hurt when I talk? Do I say things intentionally or unintentionally that damage individuals? And if they are brave enough to tell you that yes, you do, then I would suggest that you would pray this prayer that David prays in Psalm 141. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love that. Set a guard over my mouth. Basically, we need to ask God for help. We need to ask him to help us to think before we speak because speaking without thinking is like shooting without aiming. It's dangerous. And so we gotta think before we speak. I need to think before we speak. And so here's an acronym or a filter, if you will, 
to think before we speak. If you're going to say something in response or someone, ask these questions beforehand. Ask, is it true? And so for me, I would go like, oh, it's true. They need to hear this. Absolutely, they need to hear this. And I feel like I can communicate it. I'll communicate it well. But is it helpful? And then I think, oh, yeah, well, of course it's going to be helpful because they're obviously unaware of their incompetency. So I should let them know of that situation. Or is it inspiring, right? Well, they'll be inspired. They'll change after this. But the last two always get me. Is it necessary? Is it necessary to say what you're saying at that time to that person? Think about it ahead of time. And lastly, the biggest one, is it kind? Sometimes saying a difficult thing is the kind thing to do. But we'll talk about that here in a second. Friends, a closed mouth gathers no feet. Took me a while to learn that. A closed mouth gathers no feet. Not put your foot in your mouth if you're not saying anything. And sometimes we should just hold our tongue. Sharp words are hurtful. The second and the most common sharp word that David addresses in these psalms is this, slanderous words. Slanderous words. David, he said this in Psalm 140, he said, let not a slanderer be established in the earth. A slanderer is a talebearer. It is somebody who roams around looking for a person to tell them something. I have a story to tell. Will you listen? Here's the description. I am more deadly than the screaming shell of a cannon. I win without killing. I tear homes, tear down homes. I break hearts, wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity is pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget. I seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Solomon said that the words of gossip are like choice morsels. Choice morsels. This is a bite. This is a mouthful. This is something that we savor. It's that first bite that you take of steak and you're like, mm, that is so good. So good. And oftentimes when we hear or speak gossip, they're like choice morsels to our mouth and to our ears. Because hear me, the problem of gossip is not only in the telling, it is in the hearing of it. There would not be so many open mouths if there weren't so many open ears. There would not be. I have friends, you have friends, that share information that tears down people in our presence or tears down organization or churches. And we talk about it. And you hear them say these things. And then I don't know about you, but I always think, what did they say about me when I'm not in their presence, if they have the willingness to share this in front of me. Here's what I would suggest. Before we entertain the hearing of a bad report about somebody, we would ask them three questions. You can even interrupt them in the process. They're telling you something, interrupt them and ask them this. Number one, why are you giving me this information? Why are you giving me this information? 
Perhaps they think that you could help and be a part of the solution. If that's the case, then that's great. But most likely, if not, I can almost guarantee you that the reason they're telling you is that they believe that you will be a sympathetic ear. And that's why they're telling you. The second question to ask is, have you personally checked out all the facts? Have you personally checked out all the facts? Because you know the thing about facts, right? Facts often offset other facts. And if you only have half the facts, then you don't have all the facts, and you don't know what the fact you're talking about. Okay? You don't? And so before we start talking about other people, we should get all the facts. Because there's a side to their story, too. Solomon says this. He says, a fool answers the matter before he hears it. The third thing you should ask him, and probably my favorite, is can I quote you on this? Can I quote you on this? And if you ask that question, most likely they'll be like, oh, no, 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 please don't, please don't. I'm, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> you are involved. <laughs> and you just got me involved. So can I quote you on this? And if they're wise, you know, if they're mature, they will say, yes, you can quote me on this. That means they're trying to help. But if they won't let you quote them on it, then that is gossip. And gossip is sinful. And gossip should be thrown out the window. Right? It's hurtful words. They're hurtful words. Some words are hurtful. Other words are helpful. David identifies three types in Psalm 141. First one is my favorite. Real prayer. Real prayer. Psalm 140, verse 1, says, Deliver me, O Lord. Psalm 140, verse 4, Keep me, O Lord. Psalm 140, verse 6, says, You are my God. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. Psalm 141, verse 1, says, The Lord, or Lord, I cry out to you. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. David is praying. In both Psalm 140 and in both Psalm 141, they are essentially prayers. And if we are going to open our mouths 700 times a day, I would think that we should probably send some of those words directed upwards to God. We should. We should spend time praying and talking to him. Look at this. Look at Psalm 140. I just read this. Psalm 140, verse 9 through 10. This is a real prayer in the Bible. This is what it says. This is what David says. He says, as for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall on them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not again. That is a psalm in the Bible, peoples. That is a prayer in the Bible. Why do we gloss over that? That is an impeccatory psalm. That's what that is. Now, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm getting at. I am not saying that you should pray gnarly, vengeful prayers that, hey, I hope they go to hell tomorrow because they cut me off in traffic today type of prayers. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we should pray honest prayers. Honest prayers. This is honestly how David felt at the time, right? And he wasn't afraid. I love this. He wasn't afraid to pour out what he was feeling to God. Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to answer your gnarly payback prayers, right? He is more responsible than that. He can handle your vengeful prayers, but just be honest with him. Get it out. 
My son Percy has a cat. And that statement is a statement I never thought I would say in my lifetime. Okay? We have two cats in our house. You want to know why we have two cats? Because we had mice. And I couldn't get them all. And so we ended up getting barnyard cats. And since we got them, the mice have gone away. So I like the cats for one reason. That's it. But we have two cats. We have a girl cat for Paisley and a boy cat for Percy. And the girl cat is named Oscar, and she loves him. And the boy cat is named Charlie the F and the Factory. That's what his name is. Charlie and the Factory. <laughs> Hear me. Not Charlie and not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, just Charlie and the Factory. That is his name. So we obviously let our kids name our cats. And so um, here's what's interesting. The other day, uh, we realized something new that we didn't know. We didn't realize that Charlie in the factory is not exactly a boy. He's a girl cat. We thought he was a boy cat, but upon further investigation, we realized <laughs> that he is a she. So the time came when we had to explain this to Percy. And we told Percy that his cat is not actually a boy cat. It's a girl cat. And you guys, the look of disappointment <laughs> and confusion <laughs> was huge. His whole countenance just shut down. And so for the next week, Percy prayed every night, God, would you please make Charlie and the factory a boy again? <laughs> that was his prayer on a like continual weekly basis. Now, God didn't honor that prayer. Charlie and the factory is still a girl. But what I love is I love that my son would pray honest prayers, sincere, honest prayers. And we should do the same. We should pray real prayers, honest prayers. Honest prayer is better than dishonest piety, where we say to God, oh, Lord, just I pray you bless them. I pray that good would happen in their life. Just bless them, bless them, bless them. Right? So... No. Honest prayers. God can handle real prayers. In fact, you know what's nuts? I think he prefers them. I really do. The second type of word that could be helpful that we could use is regular encouragement. Here's what David said. He said, and they hear my words for they are sweet. Psalm 141. The author of Hebrews says, here's what he says. He says, we are to encourage one another. How often? I love this. Daily. As long as it is called today, regular encouragement, so that, and this is our purpose, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are to use our words to lift people up, not to tear them down. Our words should be it's peppered with salt and love, grace and love. It makes a difference when you encourage someone. John Maxwell wrote a book called Becoming a Person of Influence. And in that book, he wrote about an experiment where he had people would stand, and they were trying to figure out what their tolerance for pain would be. They had them stand in buckets of ice. So it was the original, like, ice bucket challenge. So they stood in these buckets of ice, and they just wanted to see how long they would go. And so they went for as long as they can. They did it for the first round, and, and people did well. 
What was interesting was in the second round, same people, they had them back in these buckets, but this time they put someone next to them, someone to encourage them, someone to cheer them on, someone to speak well, you can do it, keep on going. They even at one point put a bucket on a stage and had an entire audience just cheer them on while they stood in the bucket. You can do it. You can do it. The difference between the time of the first round and the second round, catch this, was the people who had someone cheering for them, encouraging them, jeering them along, helping them along, they went twice as long as the first round. Twice as long. It makes a difference. Encouragement makes a difference. When you feel the temptation or the desire or the urge to use sharp words, my suggestion would be to stop for a moment and replace those words with words of encouragement. Instead of sharp words, use sanctify words to spur them on, to cheer them on. Because life, we know this, it is hard enough. It is hard enough to have people speaking difficult things to our face and and slandering us behind our back. We not only need to hear our Heavenly Father's voice calling us forward through His Word, we need to have our brothers and sisters cheering us along, affirming us along, grace-filled words of encouragement. How often? Regularly. Daily. You guys, there is somebody that is near you It could be in your family. They could be in your family. There is someone who is near you. It could be where you work with. Someone near you that you see in a grocery store or in a line that is in, they could be sitting next to you right now that are in desperate need of encouragement. And you have the opportunity to give that to them. Some words are helpful. Those are real prayers, regular encouragement. And the last one might surprise you but it is a righteous rebuke, a righteous rebuke. Here's what David said in Psalm 141. He said, let the righteous strike me and it shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let not my head refuse it. This is the rare ability to be able to express love through tactful criticism. It is to warn someone. It is to say, you're going that direction. You either need to stop or turn. But you should not continue to do that or to continue in that manner. Solomon says this. He says, an open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. David would have first-hand knowledge on this. David was the one who committed adultery, and David was the one who then murdered because of that. And what's crazy is that he was confronted, righteous rebuke. Nathan the prophet came up to him, someone he had a relationship with, came up to him, and he told him, it was very clever, he told him in a story, hey, in your kingdom, There is someone who has a, you know, lots of sheep, great wealth. And they went to somebody who had a pet sheep, one sheep, that's all they had. And they killed it and they ate it. And what's crazy is that David said to Nathan, well, that person should surely die. And then Nathan said, well, that person, David, is you. 
And it just opened David's eyes in that moment, and he repented. A righteous rebuke is so, so, so hard to do correctly. You've got to lead with love. You've got to overwhelm them in love. If you get through the entire process and they don't feel more loved by you than corrected, then you did it incorrectly. You've got to love them through it. In fact, what you should do beforehand is pray whether I should do this or not. And once you have the go-ahead from the Lord, once you have the go-ahead in that, then you should go for it and very, very, very carefully. A righteous rebuke can help. I love what he says here. He literally says that it is a kindness. It's amazing. It's like an excellent oil. If it is done right, it is very helpful. The last thing is this. Some words are hurtful, other words are helpful, but all words are consequential. Meaning that they originate from somewhere else. They are a result of something. Here's what David says in Psalm 140. He says, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart. The root problem is not the tongue. The root problem is the heart. Our words are a consequence. They are a result. They are a reflection of our heart. Jesus himself says, from the abundance of a heart, the mouth will speak. The mouth will speak. When I would talk negatively, or I would use words that my mom didn't like, she had one solution for it. It was an old-fashioned solution, but it was very effective. She would wash my mouth out with soap. And still to this day, when I'm in the shower, and I get soap in my mouth, I think of that horrific woman. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just like, I just, <laughs> my loving, caring mom who put soap in my mouth and taught me that's not how you're supposed to speak. But she could have washed my mouth out over and over and over and over again, and it's not the problem. The problem was my heart. That was the problem. The problem with, a polluted, with polluted water is that it comes from a polluted well. And words are the outward gauge of what's going on inside of here. Whatever is inside of here will eventually find its way out. And oftentimes, it comes out through our mouth. Recently, actually last week, I was back on a plane again. <laughs> and, uh, and a kid, kid comes on with his mom. Mom's holding the baby, come down the aisle. And of course, they choose to sit right next to me, right? Like, like right in front of me, same situation. I'm like, gosh, providence of God, here we go. You know, sitting right next to me. And same thing. This kid was hell in the air. It was just, it was difficult. He was screaming loud, crying, uh, and the mom was trying. Mom was trying her best. But the kid was loud, and we heard him the entire flight. And I remembered back to the time when I screwed it up before. And God has been working in my heart since then. So when we got off the plane, right, when, we're, when they land and we're all standing there, I know that the entire plane is frustrated with this kid and with this mom, or at least they're irritated by the sound. And this time, I chose to use my words differently. And I'm not trying to brag or anything. This is just the growth trajectory God has me on. Instead of that, I used my words to help. We stood up, and I just told her in front of everyone, loud enough for everyone to hear what a great job she did. That was, that's so hard. I have kids too. And they're so difficult to take on a plane, but you did a great job. And her countenance 
changed inside of that moment. She was encouraged. And that's how we should use our words, right? We should use our words to help. Yes, if we need to rebuke, let's do that. But they got to know we love them first. It's got to be done properly. It's taken a long time, and I have been on a great journey. I don't know why words came to me so easily. When I was younger, I used to use them to win and to defeat and to fight. And prior to the loss of my daughter, I would look back, even sometimes in ministry, and I said things I wish I could take back with all my heart. I can't. Sometimes I've gone back and apologized for those things that I have said and where I misstep and misspoke. I thought that if I just said something truthful or difficult to the one, it would help the masses. And I'll just sacrifice the one in that process. I don't want to do that anymore. God has grown me a lot since that point. I still mess up, not intentionally. I don't use my words to intentionally stab someone with my sharp words. But I do my best to encourage people. And even my, my, my uh, mentor and friend came up to me afterwards, Dave, and he said, dude, you have grown in this a lot, and I'm so grateful for that. But that's God working not in my mouth, in my heart. That's the difference there. David says this in a different psalm, Psalm, 150, or psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If we do that, if we pray that prayer and we allow God to do his work, Jesus' redemptive work inside of our lives, we will bless others far more than we bite. Let's pray.